Sunday mornings now, we are in a series entitled Gleanings from the Book of Genesis. If you're with us this morning and uh, you are without a Bible, just flag one of these men coming up the aisles right now and they'll put a Bible in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, please make this one a gift from us to you this morning. Genesis chapter 3, picking things up in verse 7. And then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The devil made me do it. Uh, She said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. And so the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception In pain you will bring forth children, your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we marvel at how completely blind we would be in this life without the revelation of your word, what you explained to us, what you revealed to us, without which we could not make heads or tails of anything concerning our own individual lives or the world that we find ourselves in. And we pray that you would freshly fill us with your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit would be strong working in our midst and giving us understanding of this section of human history, how it affects us, what it is supposed to Uh, how it's supposed to impact us, what it's supposed to do within our lives. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I think that among the uh, great questions that any uh, thinking person Uh, must ask, and not only ask, but satisfactorily answer in the course of our lives are questions like, how did we get here? Speaking not only of the universe, not only of the earth, the creation around us, but specifically speaking of mankind. 
to ask ourselves in the course of our three score and ten, what is the meaning and the purpose of life? And again, not merely to ask the question, but to uh, then uh, not cease until we discover an answer that is adequate uh, uh, to the question. Questions like, why is the world that we live in uh, such a mess? Why is it so full of suffering and so full of evil and so full of tragedy? Why do people die? Uh, Why does death exist at all in the human condition? What's the explanation for its origin? What happens after death? Am I prepared for death? What must I do to be prepared for death? And the answers to the first two of those questions we've already been supplied with as we've looked at Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Mankind as well as the whole world and the universe came into existence as an act of God's creation. And then the ultimate in the meaning and purpose of life is found in a personal relationship with God. The very thing that we've been created for. And until a human being, an individual human being, is engaged in the supreme thing that we've been created for, there will always be an emptiness in our lives that, uh, that, that will exist and that nothing else can satisfy in terms of that longing within our life. There will always be that sense that there must be something more to life than I have experienced. And indeed, uh, not only does that something exist, but it is the greatest thing in life, and that is to know God and have a relationship with Him. The questions pertaining to what happens after death and how to properly prepare for death We'll leave those for another time in our study of of chapter 3. And this morning, uh, the reason that death exists and and, uh, uh, in in the human condition, uh, we'll leave that for another time as well. But this morning, we'll focus on why is the world that we live in such a mess, so full of tragedy, so full of suffering, so full of evil. And again, I would contend... And uh, I have been, uh, I like to think of myself as a lifelong learner. I walk through life, my eyes are open, my ears are open, my heart is open. I test everything that comes my way. And, uh, but I would contend in the course of 64 years of my life, I have never ever, uh, nothing so satisfies and provides an answer to these questions as does the first three chapters of of the book of, of Genesis, the greatest answers to the greatest questions in life. And specifically, again, uh, for our purposes this morning, I don't think that anyone can adequately or even remotely comprehend uh, the reason for the uh, mess of the world that we live in uh, day in and day out. All of the hardship within it, all of the, the misery of life in, in planet Earth that is, that is our portion every day, none of us can find an explanation for it independent of, of the revelation that we find in this passage. The Bible explains that it was sin. Uh, the fall of Adam and Eve in that ancient Garden of Eden that unleashed and literally in an, an entire world of dreadful consequences into the entire creation of God. And these consequences fell not only upon Adam and Eve, but they 
consequences that continue to this very day. And as we'll see another time, consequences that affect mankind, they affect the animal kingdom, they affect uh, the earth itself, the dirt itself, again, indeed, all of creation. Uh, Erwin Lutzer, famous Christian uh, uh, pastor and author and teacher, uh, he wrote a book called The Serpent of Paradise. And in that uh, book, he tells a story that illustrates all of this in a in a helpful way. And it's the story of a construction company that invited various contractors to uh, submit bids for a major building complex. And all things being equal, the contractor who submitted the lowest bid would get the job. And needless to say, the bids had to be submitted in secret. And on the last day that the bids could be tendered, a contractor walked into the office of the president of the company with a bid in his hand. And to his surprise, the office was empty. He stood alone there. And uh, venturing to look around the office and, and looking at this great mahogany desk that was uh, planted at one end of the office. And much to his surprise, he saw the bid of a major competitor lying open on the desk. The only problem was is that there was a can of soda sitting directly over the most important figure in the document. Uh, if this contractor knew the amount that was written on that line, then he could adjust his bid to come in just below it and land this multi-million dollar uh, job. The contractor nervously uh, paced the floor of the office and, and he knew fully what was at stake here. He contemplated moving the can uh, for just a second, reading the figure and then putting it back down. And he put his hand to the can and he, and he touched it and he found that he was unable to, to do it. And then he glanced around the room one more time and just to be confident that no one was looking. And he lifted the can quickly, intending to glance at the number and then put the can back instantly. And much to his chagrin, as he lifted the can from the desk, Hundreds of BBs spilled out onto the desk and rolled onto the floor. And the contractor, as Erwin Lutzer puts it, experienced the law of unintended consequences firsthand. He thought he could control the fallout of his dishonesty, but discovered that unforeseen events had been built into the temptation, and one single act had repercussions that he could not have anticipated the can of soda was not what it appeared to be. And if not innocently, at least naively, Adam and Eve disobeyed God without realizing they were setting in motion a moral and spiritual earthquake that would reverberate throughout the entire universe. And all of that is exactly true. When Satan sold Eve on uh, the committing of uh, sin and eating of the tree of the knowledge in, of good and evil. He convinced her to do so uh, by telling her that there would be no negative consequences in doing it, but rather uh, all of the consequences would be favorable. And the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, but the, there was a great deal more to rebelling against God than merely gaining a knowledge of good and evil, as Satan had originally described it to Eve in tempting her. And when Satan tempts us with sin, 
He never tells us the whole truth uh, about the committing of that sin. He always emphasizes the pleasures of the sin, the attractiveness uh, of the sin, even what it might do for us on the short term, but he never ever speaks uh, openly, honestly, fully of the consequences that will come into our lives uh, as a result of, of committing the sin. And then when all of the consequences come crashing down on us uh, and you look around for him, some pity, some consolation, he's nowhere to be found. And as we mentioned before, he is a destroyer. He doesn't care one bit about us. All he cares about is uh, destroying us and God's plan for our lives. The devil is pure uh, evil. He is not some combination of good and evil. He is evil uh, incarnate. He is evil in, in terms of a created being, so to speak, and, uh, and, and, and doesn't care what consequences come upon our lives as a result of, of the sins that he endeavors to tempt us into. And anywhere in life, you have a pull, you have an indoctrination, uh, you have a temptation towards sin uh, without any warning concerning the consequences that are immediately going to enter your life upon committing that sin, then you are dealing uh, if not with the, the devil himself or the demonic realm itself, you are dealing with an instrument of the devil, something that is being used by him. And this tempting people into sin, exposing to sin, drawing people into sin, indoctrinating people into sin without ever talking about the consequences that will come into a person's life, they are using a device that's as old as the devil and his temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I would say it, 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 this device is, goes on all around us. Uh, the degree to which television shows, or the degree to which movies, or uh, music, or video games, or books, or magazine articles, or uh, anything we might find on the internet, or even schools, or educators, or mentors in life, uh, lecturers, even family members and friends uh, who extol the virtues of sin, who tempt us into sin, uh, who call upon us in, uh, to engage in a sin without ever explaining, without ever showing, without ever watching what happens to a human life after they've made the decision that now they're glamorizing on the big screen before us. The big screen at the movie theater or the wall-sized plasma screen that a person might have in their house. But whenever uh, sin is glamorized and the consequences are minimized, then, then they are merely following in Satan's pattern. And this goes on, of course, all around us. We all recognize us, uh, this. They never show you the consequences of the sexual immorality, the one-night stand, uh, the whatever it is, it looks like it's fun, it looks like it's the way to live, it looks like this. They never show the consequences of the drug use. They never show where it leads. They never show them ultimately homeless in San Francisco or in San Diego or uh, blowing their brains out or spending the rest of their life struggling against some kind uh, of addiction that is never shown. 
They never show the end of violence. Violence is extolled continually before us in, in entertainment, uh, as if uh, somehow you can engage in all of these violent acts that are put before our eyes, and somehow there isn't a jail cell at the far end of it. There isn't a prison sentence. There isn't a regret one day for having pulled that fist back and then let it launch into uh, some other human being, or worse yet, a knife uh, or, or a gun. The glamorization of crime and, and uh, the failure to speak of the consequences in terms of uh, absolutely uh, ir- irresponsible decision-making, and on and on it, on it goes. And, and because they know that if you knew the full consequences, if they were to be responsible enough to present the full consequences to us, then no one in their right mind would engage in these activities, or at least they'd know the consequences uh, well enough that it would constitute a strong deterrent uh, in their lives to doing so. We have an old saying, and the old saying is that the, the devil is in the details, and it's true. Uh, the disaster comes on uh, the basis of details that we usually don't find out about until later. Now, in a complete contrast, refreshingly, uh, to Jesus, Jesus is as clear as a bell on these issues. Uh, he never, like, draws anyone into his kingdom or to follow him or to make a decision for righteousness or to do the right thing uh, without being clear about the consequences of it, the consequences of disobeying uh, a command. He's the only one that's speaking truth in the world today. And uh, Jesus said concerning sin, Verily, verily, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. There is always a hook associated with sin. There is always a consequence associated uh, with sin. And the devil always hides that hook and he always hides that consequence. And I think that any of us that are still listening to me at this point and uh, walking in, uh, with our eyes and our ears open within the culture, we realize that this is epidemic within our culture. This is 90% of what we're exposed to in the course of our lives. It is a rare experience when uh, someone puts a temptation before us or some temptation is placed there and the consequences are uh, fairly and fully spelled out uh, to us. Now, additionally, Genesis chapter 3 provides mankind with an explanation for what is known as the problem of suffering in the world. And this is important to to spend, at least in my mind, I think, it important to spend some time on because I hear it all of the time. And I read it all of the time, and if I'm hearing it and I'm reading it, then you're hearing it and reading it as as well uh, as a Christian. And that is uh, people using the existence of suffering in the world as a reason for rejecting the existence of God. And and it is under the, the misguided belief that somehow... Uh, the God of the Bible has no answer to the existence of suffering in the world, uh, no answer to the existence of evil in the world, that somehow the God of the Bible is completely silent uh, on this. He has no explanation at all for its existence and would be completely 
left completely without words if someone were to question uh, him about the existence of suffering and evil in the world. It was uh, July 3rd. 2019, and I was in a coffee shop, and there was a San Francisco Chronicle lying around, and uh, so I picked it up because I I felt my blood pressure was too low and uh, wanted to read something to elevate it, but uh, mainly for the purpose of of doing the crossword puzzles and reading the comics and the sports page. I'm so glad college football has started once again. Uh, Life is good. Uh, but on that particular day, uh, I was reading the comics, and there's a comic, uh, very dry humor and sarcastic, that I, I like a lot, and it's called Pearls Before Swine. And if the technicians would put the, the comic strip up, here, here it was. It didn't ruin my breakfast, but almost. And so here you have the first caption, and this bunny in the hat represents God. Oh, all-powerful magic bunny, why do you allow suffering in the world? Why do you let evil prevail? And the bunny disappears. Oh, look, I disappeared. And, and then the pig says, I hate it when he does that. And then the bunny says, okay, who wants to see a card trick? And, and basically, uh, he is he's communicating this very... Thing that we run into all of the time. The big bunny in the hat represents God. We can remove it if we haven't already. And uh, the idea being that somehow God has no answer for the existence of suffering and evil in the world, and that if you ever were to approach him with a subject, that he would uh, quickly disappear or try to change the subject uh, when, it, when it's raised. And when, in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. God only does not avoid the question, but he provided uh, the entire world with the explanation for it. And he supplies the explanation for the existence of evil and suffering in the world, not in some obscure chapter in Leviticus or in Isaiah or in the book of Job, but he does so in chapter 3 of Genesis, uh, the very opening book uh, of, of the Bible. And God's explanation is a very simple one, that man was created good, indeed he was created very good, that all of, crea- uh, all of creation was created very good, and that Adam and Eve were placed in the perfection of a place called the Garden of Eden, where they were given a lone prohibition uh, with an accompanying warning. God said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then ultimately tempted by the devil, they rebelled against God's uh, lone commandment, and the result was not only the fall of Adam and Eve, from God's original intent for their lives, but the fall of all of creation from God's original intent as well. And with the fall, the introduction of the universality of suffering into both the physical world, into all of the creation, and into mankind as a whole. Uh, Paul uh, carries the theme uh, wonderfully in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Allow me to read a few verses to you. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And having raised the the subject, uh, the issue of uh, the sufferings of this present time, he then elaborates on it. 
For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. And not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we as Christians don't escape uh, these consequences, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Again, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until uh, now. And examples of uh, the, what the creation now groans or suffers under as a result of sin's effect upon uh, nature, as you'll talk about it, and we'll talk about it next time, Lord willing, uh, thorns and thistles, uh, natural disasters like earthquakes and floods and tsunamis and volcanic eruptions and tornadoes and droughts. And none of these things existed prior to the fall of Adam and Eve. They were never intended by God to be a part of, of human history. And you think about all of the suffering that these things produce every year in this world. Uh, we watch the news and we see where a great earthquake has hit a part of the world or some tsunami or some uh, flood has occurred or a hurricane in the world. And not only is the earth scarred as a result of it, but then there's the destruction, the devastation of people. You see people uh, working their way through piles of buildings that have fallen in, looking for life, looking for uh, loved ones. And and then all of the devastation of a mudslide or something and, and realizing that everything that they've owned and they didn't own much is now completely gone and what it will take for them to put their lives uh, back together. And as we watch it and uh, on TV so often, you wonder, uh, you, you marvel at the, the, the destruction and suffering, 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 Everywhere in the creation today, year in and year out, week in and week out, day in and day out. And always when these kind of events occur in the world, people will rise up and blame it on God. It's the ultimate act of blame shifting on the part of man uh, to blame God for the consequences of the fall when he really had uh, nothing to do with it. And they will not only blame it all upon God, but then use the existence of suffering and these uh, kind of tragedies as a, an evidence that he does not exist. And the idea, as they'll pose the question is, if God is real, how could he allow these things to happen? And uh, again, not realizing that it wasn't God who initiated the suffering, but it was man who initiated the suffering. And when God finished his work, uh, we are told that uh, he saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And I think this is why it's unfair, and really uh, unfair to God, certainly, but, but also a disservice to people when these kind of things are referred to maybe in an insurance policy as an act of God 
they're nothing of the sort. We might uh, better entitle them uh, consequences of the fall or consequences of Adam and Eve or an act of sin and instead of blame, uh, shifting the blame over to God. And so this universality of suffering, this, the groaning and the laboring of creation, it doesn't just include the physical universe and the world all around us. When we're talking about trees, we're talking about soil, we're talking uh, uh, about animals, we're talking about weather. But all of these, uh, the consequences of, of the fall, all of this suffering includes people as well. Whether a person is saved or unsaved, irregardless uh, of the fact. And not only do we have to navigate and endure all of the natural catastrophes of life associated with the fallenness of creation... But on top of that, as human beings, as descendants of Adam and Eve, every one of us has to deal with an additional layer of suffering as well. For example, death and all of the suffering that's associated with that. How many people, how many out of a population of 7 billion in the world will die today? Uh, what percentage, what number will it be? What number, how many will die in this city alone, in this county uh, alone uh, today? And, uh, and then to think about if you've even been associated, and I think that most of us have multiple times, been close to the death of a single person, and to see how far-reaching the suffering goes out into a family, goes out into a workplace, goes out into a, a, a neighborhood, and and uh, how far-reaching uh, the consequences of death are, the suffering that it brings into the world on a daily basis, even if there are no earthquakes or, or tsunamis on a, a, a given day. There's the suffering of contemplating our own death to come. There's the weight of the fear uh, of death. Again, the suffering that, that death brings into our life, the death of a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, uh, a good friend. And you just stop and think about the sheer amount of suffering and heartbreak that affects the world every single day in this regard. And then you've got the groaning and the sorrow associated with aging, uh, the gradual failing uh, of the body. And then there is the suffering associated with sickness and with disease. And you think about all of the groaning and laboring that goes on all around the world related to this aspect uh, of the fall, from cancer to malaria to Ebola to Alzheimer's to dementia to smallpox to the flu to every single uh, thing or disease or illness that afflicts us. The ground is, is cursed, as we mentioned, the, the thorns and the thistles, and how many people uh, backbreakingly every single day labor just to earn the money in the face uh, of the fall of, uh, of, of creation as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve to put food on the table for uh, just another uh, day. And then there is the, the suffering associated with sin and the bondage of sin that Adam and Eve brought into human history. And you think about what percentage of the world's population has been brought into the bondage of sin. Every day they wake up, every single morning, and they hate themselves for what they do. They hate themselves for the person that they've become. They hate themselves for the one, the two, the three things that have taken control of their lives. They long for the day 
that they could be uh, eight years old again and have another start to make entirely different uh, decisions, to have an entirely different quality of life than the one uh, that they're living. And they know that uh, the the sin that they're engaged in is destroying them, and they, they hate themselves for what their bondage to sin has turned them into. And there is the weight of of all of that uh, is everywhere in in the world. And even if a person isn't in in bondage to some particular sin, you think about what uh, that person goes through on a daily basis to stay in that place. I mean, you think about the, the enormous physical, emotional, mental strength and resources that are required. Uh, in this world to resist uh, the deadly pull of sin from every angle that all of us face in in the course of life. And then there's the guilt and the shame and the regret and the weight of all of that and the groaning and the suffering that that brings into uh, lives. And then as we're going to see as we head into Genesis chapter 4 someday where the first murder occurs in human history as Cain slays his brother Abel and and now there's an entire world of sin that was uh, introduced as well and uh, producing now the victims of of crime and how much sorrow occurs in the world today uh, because of crime and uh, murder, sexual assaults, violent crime like aggravated assaults and burglaries and robberies, how many locks can we have on our doors auto theft and drunk drivers, drug cartels, gangs, extortion, fraud, financial scams. And uh, if the government wants to do something to help me, they would do something with these telemarketers that call me 60 times a day. I don't want them to change the world. Just get those people off my back and I'll vote for you. Do something practical, please. Uh, in in life, and then you've got all of the corruption within uh, government and uh, elsewhere. And to live in a world like this, it puts a lot of weight on a person. And I don't think that we ever stop usually and just stop and think uh, 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 and are aware of, of the sheer toll that all of it's taking upon us emotionally, physically, uh, mentally every day until we stop and 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 think about it. And on and on it goes every single day on planet Earth. And it's, it's just mind-numbing, really, to consider the sheer amount of weight that we carry. Every person carries in this world because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And, and as a result, throughout the ages, people have wrestled with the question of the existence of God in the light of pain and suffering in the world. So very often a person will conclude that suffering in the world must mean uh, one of two things about God. That number one, that he must be either loving but not all-powerful, or number two, he must be all-powerful but not uh, loving. And they conclude that the continued existence of suffering and evil in the world is absolute proof and evidence of the fact that a loving all-powerful God, such as the Bible describes, it cannot be true that such a God cannot exist in the face of the evidence. Because again, if he were truly loving, he'd bring an end to all suffering. And because he doesn't, then it must mean that he's not powerful enough to do so. 
And if he's all-powerful but fails to bring an immediate end to suffering, then it must mean that he's not loving. And of course, it's a false dichotomy as if there's only uh, no other alternative but these two uh, choices. But the Bible teaches, I mean unabashedly, teaches that God is both loving and all-powerful. And that one day he will bring an end to all of this fallenness, this, this mess to an end. And uh, one day all of it's going to give way to a new heaven and a new earth, completely untainted by sin. And, and thus he'll bring an end to suffering and evil as well. And one atheist that I was talking to uh, uh, some time back as uh, is, uh, is he raised all of these questions and then I, I explained to him uh, some of the very things that we're talking about here this morning and uh, talking about all of this will one day give, away, give way to perfection, but it'll be in God's timing. And, and, uh, and he responded, as many people do, oh, one day, someday, isn't that uh, convenient? And to which I always reply, well, you ask the Bible, you ask for the Bible's uh, explanation, and now you have it. Uh, what you do with it is entirely up to you. But don't live under the illusion that the Bible does not address uh, the very thing that uh, you feel that uh, he, he doesn't address. And, uh, and then if you don't like his explanation, now that's an entirely different subject. Uh, that, uh, that if you don't like his explanation, then, then that's another discussion to have. And I would just commend anyone to go to the book of Job's, Job and, and read those however many uh, questions that God posed to Job and left Job speechless. Uh, if one day you want to question the wisdom of God and his plan and stand face to face, I doubt you'll fare better than, than he did. But this is, the, this is the explanation that God gives. And when a person looks at the messed up condition of the world that we live in, it is a perfect match to God's explanation as he's given here in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 in terms of the creation of man and the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And again, I would contend no one will make any sense, no thinking person will, of the world that we live in or come to any kind of a satisfactory explanation to the world that we live in on a daily basis, independent of God's revelation in chapters of 1 through 3 of Genesis. And if you reject God's explanation, then what is your explanation for the existence of suffering and evil? And then to be honest about it, and to ask, one must ask themselves, is your explanation better than the explanation that God has given? And I think even more so related to our culture to pose the question, and that is, if you have never given this any thought at all in your life, it's important for you to realize that's not okay. It is not okay to eat, drink, and be merry, to live and encumber the earth, uh, to eat and to uh, breathe and to live threescore and ten in the course of, of a human life in this world and not to give consideration uh, to, to, these, uh, to these questions. And uh, because wrestling with that question alone, why is the world I live in so messed up, and how did it get this way, those are questions that are intended to bring you to God. 
and they are intended to bring you to the God of the Bible. In the Old Testament, when the Jewish people were worshiping all kinds of idols and gods, they were worshiping every god except the God of the Bible. It was an awful time in Jewish uh, history. And God challenged him through the prophet Isaiah, and he challenged him to examine uh, the the, uh, gods that they were worshiping. And he posed a little god test to them that they ought to put their idols to uh, and, and uh, just to, two things that a person ought to be able to ask of anything that they worship supremely in life uh, to, for, uh, uh, to be able to accomplish as being a minimum requirement for uh, being in the God category, being worthy of our worship. And uh, God spoke through Isaiah to the children of Israel, and he said, "'Present your case,' says the Lord. "'Bring forth your strong reasons,' says the king of Jacob." And then speaking of the idols, he said, let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them tell us the future uh, with 100% accuracy. Let them show us the former things, what they were, uh, that that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing, and he who chooses you is an abomination. And God said, put your God, whatever the master passion of your life is, to two simple tests. Number one, demand that they reveal the future to you. Uh, before it happens and to do so with 100% accuracy. And then number two, demand an explanation uh, of your God, of your master passion. Demand an explanation of them concerning the former things. What are the former things? The very questions we're talking about today. How did we get here? What is the origin of the heavens and the earth? What is the origin uh, of, of death? Why is the world that we live in such a mess and, and so full of suffering and tragedy? And why did God call upon the children of Israel to, and, and challenge them, to challenge their gods, their lives, and their thinking in this way? Because no one should ever follow a God or a philosophy or in anything in life that cannot provide us with these things as an evidence of them being worthy of our uh, worship and our, our adoration and our, our loyalty. And only the God of the Bible can pass that two-tiered test. That God is not afraid of our questions. I think that the great marvel in heaven must be in this day and age in human history, the marvel must be not the sheer amount of questions that people are posing uh, to God in the light of the condition of, uh, of the world, but surely the great marvel in heaven must be that so few are asking these questions and seeking the answer to them. How many people do you know in your life that have given these questions any serious contemplation in the course of their entire life. And how many of you as a Christian have shared, endeavored to share the gospel with people and you can't even get them to begin to think about anything serious because they haven't even thought about the questions 
to then prepare, to be then prepared for the answer to those questions. No, the marvel is that we live in a culture and we live in a day that's eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. It is the, uh, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that fill our, our uh, 70 years uh, without any serious thought being given by and large to these, these kind uh, of, of questions. And tragically, people use the existence of suffering and tragedy and evil in the world today as a reason for unbelief in the existence uh, of God, when in fact it should be a cause for faith in God's Word and in God Himself. And in talking about what we've talked about this morning, I feel that this is such a dominant thing that is going on within our culture that uh, it, it warranted uh, being addressed in this way. But I speak of these things as well uh, merely to set the table. Uh, to uh, address the, uh, the, what we'll address next time, and that is the specific consequences of the fall uh, that fell upon, number one, the serpent, the devil himself, upon Eve and man, and indeed has become our portion as a result. And then not to be left there, but then to ultimately come to the end of Genesis chapter 3, where God, his answer to uh, all of this catastrophe of the fall uh, is addressed in his provision of a salvation. Uh, but we'll never appreciate the salvation he provides, the enormity of it, the majesty of it, the glory of it, until we realize uh, the deep, deep pit that the fall has put all of us in and what uh, a considerable uh, thing that was going to be required of God in order to overwhelm all of those consequences and to bring us into a salvation that rises us uh, ultimately out of all of it. And so that's what is uh, on deck related to our study. Here's Jesus' invitation to each of us this morning whether you're not a Christian yet or whether uh, you are uh, being absolutely uh, undone or overwhelmed uh, even as a Christian by the consequences of the fall in your life, uh, whatever it, it might be, the circumstances or health or whatever it might be. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you'd like to become a Christian this morning and put your trust in the God of the Bible and begin a relationship with Him, the very thing you've been created for, there'll be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship. If you are undone, you are overwhelmed in any way related to your life. This is, this, we are very far from home as Christians in this world. And this is a tough place to navigate. And you just would like to talk to somebody and have somebody pray for you today in your circumstances. They would love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we have uh, already sung this morning about our feet being on the rock. 
And we thank you for your word. We thank you for you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for truth that is unshakable, truth that will uh, hold up under our feet as we navigate all of the difficulty of this life. That, Lord, while so much can change on us in an instant in this life, that you remain the same, you remain sure, your truth remains the same and sure. And we thank you that we have a refuge in you and in your truth, Lord. We thank you for the privilege that is ours as Christian to be able to navigate life from the understanding that your word provides to us, the peace that is ours because of it, Lord, and not only to navigate this current moment in, in world history, but to know that one day all of this will give way to perfection uh, once again, and that because of the blood of your Son, we will be a part of that perfection. We thank you this morning for that privilege, that gift, uh, uh, that blessing. And we thank you in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.